Jim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, funny story, y'all. So this is the second time we've recorded this episode. Uh, and I think it's just because the universe wants us to be spend more time together. That's that's my theory. <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to go with that, Angela. And I get to say I'm excited to be back on your podcast, even though this is the only time it'll ever make the air. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I'm sure you'll be back in future episodes. But um, Jim, I'm really excited to chat with you today. Uh, you know, we had a whole wonderful conversation yesterday, which is going to be even better today. Uh, but really, why don't you just start with introducing yourself? Tell us who you are and the impact you're looking to make on the world. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, my name is Jim Young, and I go by the Centered Coach. That's my my business alter ego. And what I'm aiming to do in the world is open up conversations for men. In particular, I speak to men who look a lot like me most often, guys who are privileged, you know, white, straight, middle class, mm -hmm. able-bodied, cisgendered, all of that, you know, that package that I was born into. Uh, I want to help guys who are in that boat be a part of the solutions that we need to some of the bigger challenges we have in the world at work and at home. Yeah, I know you talk a lot about burnout um, with with this population and you're very focused in on this population. So why? Why have you decided to focus on this population? I know we have a lot of people right now working with underrepresented people, people who have perhaps don't fit that package that you just mentioned. So why focus on this population? For me, a lot of it comes down to it's the, the story I know the best. And I also know that we're a huge part of the solution. So getting people who have access and privilege and power to be invested in allyship and being uh, more aware of what they can do. So it's not the people who are, you know, who've been underprivileged for a long time having to fight for it. It's like we're working together. There's a, you know, a really an element of wholeness that I want us to be going for. And so we need to be a part of the picture, too. Yeah, I love that. And, um, you know, I think there's a whole conversation that needs to be had around the fact that, you know, we can't talk about actual change if we're not changing the hearts and minds of the people who could be creating the harm or, you know, in which the system was created for originally. And so um, tell us a little bit about your work with with burnout and this this conversation around, I know shame is something we, we talked about last time. And so how do you approach this work? Head on is the way I, <laughs> I try to do it. And I also have to calibrate sometimes because not everybody's ready to tackle it head on. So I, oftentimes I'm trying to meet people where they are. And, and the, the people that I often have coming to me looking for some support, they're in burnout. And that's like, that's the symptom. And then we start to pick away at like, why are you in burnout? What are the, what are the causes? And oftentimes it's all of these challenges of stress that's coming at them where they may not be aware. Why is that stress coming at them? What's their role in it? And they're just trying to fix problems instead of listening to what's actually going on for other people and maybe allow them really to be a more active part of that conversation. And instead, you know, and I think it comes from, a lot of unconscious bias around, I've had it pretty easy. Why can't you just do it this way? I need you mm -hmm. to get the results. And instead of, you know, opening up, 
we go into like, oh, I've got to continue to succeed. So to your, your question about shame, it's something I've researched a, a bunch and talked with a lot of other men about is that there's this need to achieve. There's this drive to be successful that we can't let go of, or we feel like we're weak and we're, we're not man enough. And that I think is a, a big part of what's going on. Yeah. You call this a social comparison shame in your book. And so I would love to hear a bit more about that. How, you know, how um, this population is experiencing that, like what's caused it and then how uh, addressing it head on is really important for also talking about the underserved, the people around them um, who are potentially being impacted by it. Yeah, it's a great uh, deep dive. When I set out to write my book, I did not think I'd be writing about shame. It's mm. kind of the last topic I wanted to actually have to dig into and write about. And as I realized what was going on when men were facing burnout so often, it was what I coined or termed social comparison shame. I hadn't seen a term that captured it and had some help from some people in, in coming up with that. Of We're always looking to that next most powerful person or the high, next highest rung on the ladder. And until we achieve that, we feel like we haven't achieved enough. And there's this shame loop that plays. And so for me, a lot of what men don't want to talk about is this root cause dynamic of, I have to keep up appearances. I can't let my guard down. And therefore I keep my blinders on of like charge ahead and be successful and be in control and not let my emotions spill out and suffer in silence along the way. It's a really, really challenging mix that men are trying to mix of rules men are trying to live by. Yeah. So it sounds like it takes some unlearning because it's, it's kind of deep in there. And, um, you know, I think it's been perpetuated over generations and, um, you know, we talked about leadership last time, which is kind of where I would love to go next and understanding how this connects to the construct of leadership and how we've defined leadership. So what do you think the future of leadership is and how is it different than, you know, this, I get these traditional gender norms that I think, frankly, you know, if you look at all the books that are written about leadership and everybody looks the same and we're, you know, we're continuing to talk about leadership in these perhaps masculine terms uh, where I truly think, and a lot of people think that the future of leadership is more transformational. It is um, perhaps we could talk about feminine characteristics, but it is empathy based. Uh, we need emotional intelligence in order to create regenerative businesses and people within them. So I know that was like a question and a statement, but <laughs> maybe talk a little bit about leadership and the leadership construct and how that fits into this idea of ex societal expectations. And I'm right with you on that. This is why I wanted to be in this conversation with you because I love what you're talking about, social responsibility at work. How do we come together instead of all these things that are pulling us apart? And I think there's a huge imperative on leaders to be front and center for this conversation because we can do a ton of work grassroots level and middle management kind of center out work and until leaders embrace that we we want to have diverse opinions and people and perspectives and we want to create more equity in the workplace 
and we want people to feel like they belong because it's an inclusive place, right? So like the DEIB letters, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how, how do we make those come to life? And when leaders model that, when they lead the way and say, yeah, emotions are part of who we are and we need to respect that, relationships matter, everybody has something to bring to the table. And it's not just the people who've traditionally had the most success, which generationally, we just have all this momentum of what the power in this country in, in our society is like. And, and this is, again, another place where shame can come into play is like, well, I'm, you know, I didn't do this. I didn't cause this. And so I don't want to step up and be the one who's saying like, Hey, we're, you know, we've got an issue here. Let's just keep going and, and meet our, our, our revenue numbers. Uh, and people are feeling bad. Like I want us to come together and feel good. And leaders can, can make a huge difference in that when they embrace things like emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion and um, integration of masculine feminine. How do you think the system of work has contributed to this? Because, you know, I think a lot about the culture of work and the work, the workplace itself was created for this population that you're working with. Right. So when you talk about privilege, when you talk about, you know, who's the system created for wor the workplace is one of those systems. Um, you know, I, I have a, um, I always talk about, you know, a, the story of, um, the five foot door. So, you know, I, I kind of created this story to talk about systems and how they're created for certain people. And I talk about the fact that, you know, way back when hundreds of years ago, right. Um, everything, uh, you know, there's five foot people and 10 foot people and everything was created for the five foot person. Eventually, you know, things like equality, came into play. We invited the 10 feet people back into their, our workplaces, but the doors were still only five feet, right? Or the furniture was still tiny. And now it's uncomfortable for people to be, you know, if you're a 10 foot person, you're uncomfortable and you've got to hunch over to get into that five foot door. So I think people don't think about this, the system because it is kind of this, it can be, um, there's, there's artifacts and symbols that tell us that a system wasn't created for us, um, like health disparities, you know, in healthcare or um, the numbers of people in leadership, right? Uh, so to your point, you know, over generations of time, and now we have individuals who are like, I didn't contribute to that. I was just born into it and I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> right. So how do you convince, how do you convince somebody who is, who understands, who cares about these issues, they maybe don't quite understand the, the systemic and systematic parts of it to make individual changes to to impact this conversation. I love that you brought in that analogy about the doors because it's it's a data point. Another data point that, that made me think of is uh, accidents, the injuries that happen in car accidents disproportionately harm women. And why is that? If you look at crash test dummies, they're five foot nine, 170 pound models. They're designed for men's bodies because that's probably who was designing the simulation, right? right. And it's this unconscious, like, well, let's do the test the way that it's supposed to. And, and so these, you know, the data is helpful. It puts a spotlight for us on what the inequities are and data doesn't 
necessarily get us to action. That's where emotion comes into play. That's where we need story, I think, especially. Mm. We learn and are impacted so much by story. And so as if we come back to leadership, are leaders creating the openings to hear the stories and to share the stories and to weave a fabric of stories within their organizations and also with their customers and with their partners, you know, really all the lives that they're touching so that we can see like, oh, this is the real impact. I see the numbers on the spreadsheet, but then I also see these other numbers and I've got to go meet my goals. When I see the human impact, then I start to say, whoa, wait a second. That could be my sister. That could be my mother. That could be Mm -hmm. my neighbor. And I think that's, you know, changing minds through hearts to me is the the best way to get to action. Yeah. And I think also, I think what you're talking about is creating space for these conversations. Yeah. I think, you know, as a society and how we've structured work, you know, you've got people are burning out because of the, the volume of work and how fast we're moving. And um, I don't think we've fit into the structure time and space to be regenerative (laughs) to have these conversations and be able to think to even take the moment to say hey maybe the reason why um women are dying in car accidents um and they have their seatbelt on is because this the system was designed not to support them so if you look at at, like that traditional pyramid structure Mm -hmm. of, of organizations or you can make that same figure and say it's it's like the tip of a spear right and you hear that phrase used sometimes for a leader you're at the tip of the spear well first of all that's we're using violence to to describe how we're leading so let's Mm. let's try and move away from that but but that pressure to be directive and to tell everybody else what they need to do to get to the goals that a few people have decided it just causes so many problems i'm a big proponent of teal organizational uh, theory that talks more about how do leaders become facilitators to create the space and the conditions for the conversations that now you unlock the wisdom of the entire organization. So we are all responsible. Mm-hmm. We are socially responsible at work to borrow your, your, mm-hmm. your uh, podcast name. Like that's one of the ways that I'm most excited to see is how can we help leaders take that role as, as facilitator, as coach, as guide, instead of the person who gives the orders. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's collaboration. That's, that's transformation. Those are, again, going to those leadership constructs. It's, and it, it's tough. I mean, the, the biggest challenge that I face when I'm trying to convince people that these types of practices are going to pr- produce results in dividends versus like just reactive mandate solutions is, you know, the fact that we have to look at things differently. We have to you know, and, and then there's also the the layer of like, this has worked for me for 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, this has worked well for me. I'm, I've created wealth for myself. I've um, either, you know, acquired wealth or I've created wealth for myself. This system works for me. And so I think there's also a challenge around like when you present another option, another system, there's this perception that it's not going to work for me, but it's going to work for somebody else. I'm giving up something. Right. But I think what we're trying to say is we're trying to be expansive, and I know you talk about expansive intimacy and vulnerability and bringing empathy into the workplace. So tell us a little bit about that and how you work with your um, your clients to incorporate that into business practices. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And I also want to just acknowledge, I just interrupted you as you're asking that previous question. 
and I want to, you know, I hope that was okay. Um, Absolutely. It's always, you know, we're so, you know, for those of you who are listening, I can see Jim, um, but sometimes there's like a delay. Uh, so you're, you're good. No worries. But thanks for acknowledging that. I appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. then I gave a response to that question that you hadn't even fully asked yet about not stepping in and <laughs> taking up the space. Right. So <laughs> own my own stuff here. It's all good. Um, yeah. The, the book that I've got coming out uh, imminently is called Expansive Intimacy, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout. And it's about burnout. It's about my own journey through burnout. But more importantly, it's about what I found on the other side of it and what got mm. me out of it after a year's long struggle with endless pressure and endless feelings of exhaustion and cynicism. And it was unexpected. It was all these intimate connections I started to build throughout my life that opened up this complete different mindset and this this other perspective for me of, oh, I don't need to do this alone. In fact, it feels so much better when I do it with other people and I get to have this range of experiences where I'm receiving, I'm supporting, I'm leading, I'm guiding, I'm hand, hand in hand, side by side. Uh, and it, it just opened up so many possibilities that I never saw before. So you mentioned, you know, how do we give up this track that's felt so successful for us? and think, am I still going to be able to be successful? And to me, the answer is absolutely yes. And in ways that we can't even expect. That's to me what the promise is of, of expansive intimacy. Yeah. And I think it also, you know, creates a sense of uh, vulnerability that is connected back to, you know, that empathy-based leadership and, you know, things like allyship, right? We talk a lot about allyship and, you know, you and I know that allyship is not something you proclaim. <laughs> I'm an ally, right? Uh, it's something that you demonstrate. So has that conversation come up with, you know, in your work and your research? And I guess maybe my last question kind of to wrap things up is how can, how can someone be an ally other than just proclaiming it? What are some of the behaviors? Some of the work that I'm doing is with a fantastic organization called Next Up, and they have an allyship program that I'm just delighted to be a part of. And I, I bring emotional intelligence expertise into that. And we're working with largely cohorts of men on the practices of allyship. And we talk a lot about starting with awareness, getting clear about what are our biases and how what are the blind spots that we hold? And then what are our motivations? Why do we care? You know, really asking people, why would allyship be important to you? And everybody has a story. Again, coming back to story, mm -hmm. when we tap into that question in these rooms full of men, it's amazing to watch the softening, the opening up where they realize, oh yeah, there's this thing that's really important to me and I'm not prioritizing it and I want to. And so then we work on giving tools for that. And I think, and these are typically leaders and the, the reason it's so exciting to me is that when we work with leaders, when we get a chance to be like you or I or whoever working with leaders on things like allyship, they have such a ripple effect. They help yes. so many other people when they open up those conversations and let more people in to participate and bring their gifts. And so, you know, to your specific question about how can men practice it better or how can anyone practice it better? Be curious, be humble know that you don't have to get it right because you won't. I'm still working on my allyship. I always will be. I'm not, you know, even though I'm a facilitator of allyship programming, mm -hmm. 
I still have a long way to go and I'm constantly working on it. So don't expect perfection. Show up with all the humility that you have. And, and importantly, don't make the people that you're trying to be an ally to do the work for you. Educate yourself a little bit first, then start to get into curious conversations, reverse mentorship with them where you're learning actively from them. Be in dialogue, be in conversation, be in community. I think that's the number one um, thing for me is like, how am I getting the perspectives? Ideally, it's from people who have them, not from what I make up or what I read. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And Jim, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing, the impact that you're making. Uh, you know, I think your work is is equally healing and it's also the right amount of accountability. Um, you know, and I think that's the right balance we need right now. I know we're doing a lot of talking about social responsibility, a lot of talking about DE&I, a lot of talking about um, these things and you know, uh, based on this conversation and other conversations we've had, you're doing some great work to, to heal, but also I think to drive some accountability with, um, how do we actually take action around this work and really honing in on this population, I think is a important part of the ecosystem. So tell everybody a little bit more about, uh, the name of your book. Well, you mentioned it earlier, but maybe say it again (laughs) so we can keep our eyes and ears peeled for it. And then how people can find you if they want to learn more. Thank you, Angela. And, and just to say right back at you in terms of the work that you're doing, you're one of the people yeah. that inspires me with the, with the way you come into the world and, and the conversations you're opening up. So I really appreciate uh, being able to be part of one today. Uh, people can find me most easily at my business website, thecenteredcoach.com. And the book is called Expansive Intimacy, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout. Uh, the EPUB release, the ebook release, uh, early release starts in the beginning of September and the full launch uh, is early October. So it'll be in virtual stores everywhere uh, very soon. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure to include a link uh, to your your website and how to find you and then how to pre-order the book, uh, depending on when you're, you're listening to this or when where to order the book, um, if you're listening to this a little bit later in the year. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. Thank you for your time, your insights, and your perspective and sharing with us today. Yeah, thanks, Angela. I really appreciate you.